What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the startup series of the Contractor's Secrets podcast. This is for those of you who are just starting out in your business, but it's also for those of you who listen to this podcast that just want to get some foundational principles locked in. This topic here, one that I'm very, very passionate about. We're going to talk subs. We're going to talk employees. We're going to talk about the foundation of your business when you're first starting out. You're going to learn a little bit here. Uh, hopefully you learn a lot, but I know some of this stuff is repetitive, but it's just good to lock it in. I'm going to give you some of my experience when I first started. Some of the things I thought I could do, tried out, didn't work out, and I and eventually changed. So the goal would be for me to uh, tell you my experience and for you to save the headache and the heartache and the money on uh, you know saving that and then you know just learning from my mistakes and doing things what I believe would be the right way early on in your business. So enjoy this episode. It's going to start right now. The big question you need to ask yourself every day is, do I own a job or do I own a business? And unfortunately, the majority of contractors out there own a job. That's right. They're a slave to their own business. But the other side of the fence is so much greener. It's so much better. And that's when you're finally fully in control of your destiny, your freedom, your time. And that's what Contractor Secrets is about. It's about taking back our time, building a business with systems, standards, values, procedures, putting yourself in the driver's seat. And that's what it's about. So I'm excited. I'm happy to have you here. Let's dive into the Contractor Secrets podcast. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the startup series. So today I'm going to talk to those starting out. I'm going to give you some uh, actionable tips, some advice really from my experience and actually the experience of a lot of people that I've helped uh, through coaching and just kind of just being around the industry. And, you know, um, I get this question really, I get it a lot. I mean, probably once or twice a week. It's usually someone that uh, is, is kind of have has the sales mindset, the marketing mindset, and they want to start a, uh, a business in the trades. And uh, the strategy that they try to implement is that they will go and do all the sales, do all the marketing, and then find subcontractors to do the work. And, you know, I know that there's courses out there that will tell you that this is the way to go. Um, you've heard success stories of people doing it and it's worked for them. And of course, there's companies, there's very big companies that operate this way where they only use subcontractors to do the work. So essentially, they're a glorified sales company. Here's the reality. Those companies have built long-term relationships with those subcontractors to where, number one, they trust, know, and like them. Number two, the pricing that they have is cut and dry. They know exactly what that cost, that subcontractor wants for the job. There's no back and forth. Essentially, it's a smooth process from the time that they sell the job to the, to the time that the customer gets the subcontractor to come over and do the work. You know, there's, there's no uh, back and forth about pricing. Okay. They've built that that's ingrained in their system. Um, and number three, they have a network of subcontractors that, uh, all of them get an opportunity to bid on uh, the job. Okay, that's the right way to do it. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know, maybe you just jumped in on this episode, but like I'm all about doing things the right way because this could be your legacy, this business that you're building. And not only that, um, you don't want anything to come back and bite you. And, and, you know, for me, what I learned early on is, you know, when I first started my business, you know, I kind of fell into this kind of quote unquote trap of finding subcontractors, right? And um, I operated as a painting company and I had, one 
quote unquote subcontractor that was just an individual. So he's an independent contractor who I would just write a check to for his daily labor, obviously tallying it up for the end of the week, it would add up to his weekly paycheck. So uh, essentially, really what he was was a glorified employee. Now, the thing about it is, is if you go into this with the mindset that you just want subcontractors and you find that one person, maybe those two people that you consistently uh, give work to, then you're not really operating in a, in a true subcontractor relationship. Okay, so essentially like a true subcontractor relationship is I'm a business and not my specialty. Okay, so if, if, if I'm a painting company, you know, I can't have someone come in and just do painting every day. And just because they have their own classification as an LLC or a sole proprietorship, you know, they're a subcontractor. Like, no, you are really operating in a, you know, employee employer um, relationship. So that's really important. Let me give you an example of why I brought that up is because, well, I'm a painting company, but let's say one of my customers wants baseboard installation. I can bring in someone to do baseboard installation, charge the customer $1,000 and pay that quote unquote subcontractor, let's say 500 bucks to get it done. That's a good subcontractor relationship. That is not our that is not our specialty. Okay. So we're a painting company. That's not our specialty. So he's not performing our specialty and chances are I'm not keeping him busy every single day. He can come in, do his work with his tools, the way he does his work and leaves. That is a subcontractor relationship. The way a lot of people go into this is that essentially they find someone that is really good at, and I'm going to use painting because that's, that's our industry. Find someone that's really good at painting and it's comfortable. And it's like, well, I'm not going to find someone else that I know, like, and trust. I'm just going to keep paying this guy to do the work. And essentially what you're doing is you're, you're kind of just getting comfortable, pretty much breaking the law. Like you're not really doing it right. Like, you know, um, this person's coming in for you, 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 you staff them, uh, jobs every single week. And then ultimately what happens, you know, um, you're just paying them straight checks. You're not paying employer tax, which you should be paying and you're not paying workers comp. And hopefully they have a workers comp exemption because if they get hurt, then you're responsible. And essentially just like what that do, what that is doing is, is creating a really shaky foundation early on. And the reason I say that is because ultimately, number one, you're probably paying that person way too much. And you're probably going to figure out very quick that, you know, that's just not the way, you know, it should be. Okay. Especially if you're doing all the work when it comes to marketing, sales, customer service, and this person's coming in. And just because you're in a vulnerable place, you're just paying them what they want, which typically if somebody considers themselves a business, and they work alongside you, they're going to want a business wage. And I'm just saying that's with one person. You may find a team of two or three and be doing this and getting comfortable doing this. Okay, I've seen it way too much. I understand this game way too well. And I'm just trying to help you understand they're not loyal. You know, they're really not. I mean, ultimately, maybe if you're a cabinet coding company and you have a shop and, and you bring them to the shop and you're building those relationships there, yes. But when I, what I've learned in the house painting industry and in the flooring industry and in the, in the, you know, trim work, granite, you know, these subcontractors are, are usually not loyal. You know, they have other people that are selling them work, uh, you know, and they're probably going to go toward them if the price that they're selling the work for is higher than what you're offering. You know, that's number one. So essentially like loyalty kind of goes out the window um, and it leaves you in a vulnerable, vulnerable position when it comes to scheduling. Now, for me, I take super pride in being able to say, hey, customer, I'm going to have my team here on this day. And 
who wouldn't love that, right? Who wants a tentative schedule that could span out weeks at a time? You know, and ultimately with subcontractors, I did a business breakthrough. I think it was the last one before this episode. Um, the gentleman was telling me that, you know, he likes to offer cabinet refinishing, but the person that he has doing it is booked until November. And right now it's July and uh, he can't even schedule a cabinet refinishing job. So like, you know, the goal for me, and, and I'm just trying to help you understand some of these things that you're going to run into if you go with the subcontractor route. Very rarely will anyone start a business and operate in a legal subcontractor business owner relationship. It's just, it's very rare. Like the best way to do it is to build your internal employee team. These are your assets as a business. Okay. Like these are your proprietary, this is your proprietary production. When you have proprietary production, the sky's the limit. You can, you can alter the way things are done. You can coach your team up. You can build loyalty. You can, you know, build camaraderie. You know, you can, you, you can predict scheduling. You can, motivate your team and you can actually like have something what i truly believe is tangible and uh the effort that you're putting in trying to find a subcontractor because you believe that you know it would be too hard to train someone to paint or to train someone or you don't really understand how to uh, pay that person or maybe you're worried that you know if if this person becomes a quote-unquote employee then how are you going to keep them busy that's a big one really stack the deck against yourself. Ultimately, when I know that somebody's counting on me, I work 10 times as harder. I'm 10 times more resourceful. And really the reality of the situation is I don't have to be on the job. So I can stretch jobs out longer for them to just get their hours. So like you have to be creative in that way to make sure that you're keeping your team busy, but you need to always be building up that team. You know, and I think people get kind of comfortable when they find one or two people and they don't want to add to that team, but burnout exists in this industry. If you're coming in from a sales and marketing, you know, background or a business background, guess what? You're used to usually working with your, your, you know, you're not with your hands, but you're on a computer or you're, you know, you're talking most of the day in the air conditioning, you're entering a, a business that, you know, the number one, you know, income producing asset is essentially somebody's hands and, you know, their body, you know, and you have to understand that this, this asset that they have that produces great work, uh, declines from Monday to Friday. And the way that I see it is, is that I don't want Friday's customers to get the worst of what, uh, we offer just simply because they just so happen to have their job on a Friday. So how do we offset, exhaustion while well, we add more people to the pile and you have to be a good business owner and say how many people can i afford to put on a team and how many jobs do i need to do in a week to ensure that throughout the week we're still making um, good money so ultimately what we need to do is this we need to align ourselves with the employee model early on this is my advice you don't have to take it but i'm telling you i've done this long enough and i've heard enough stories uh and i've just seen it that i i've yet to see somebody right out of the gate starting their business that has done a legal subcontractor relationship no one's done it okay and by that i mean <clears throat> the subcontractor subcontractors they have are their own business entity so let's say you run into someone at the paint store and you say hey man i have some jobs would you like to paint them okay that person has to have his own business entity. He has to have a sole proprietorship or he has to have an LLC or anything that represents him as a business entity. Okay. That's number one, which means that yes, he should have a business bank account, but if he's a sole proprietorship, he doesn't have to fine. Number one, number two, he's got to have his own general liability insurance. That means that if anything happens on the job, it hits his insurance 
not yours. Okay, so ultimately you need to have documentation of that. Number three, they they have to have a worker's comp exemption. This means that if he gets hurt on the job, he's pretty much signed a waiver that says, I will not be entitled to worker's comp, okay? So that those are the three big things. And then I can't even get into licensing. So you've got to make sure that that entity is licensed and 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 whatever is needed for your area, okay? Those are the, the big four, okay? Let's just, that's just documentation. That's not actual work, uh, you know, requirements. And it's not actual, like what happens on the job because what happens on the job is also totally different. And you can look this up on IRS. And essentially what, what you need to do is understand what classifies someone as an employee and what classifies somebody as a subcontractor. Okay. And like there's lawsuits that span back. Like you could just Google lawsuits. I mean, Uber, FedEx. I mean, those are just two big ones that I can remember off the top of my head. And, and it's called misclassification of workers. And really all that really says is that, hey, this company is avoiding paying the taxes that they need to pay. <clears throat> There's a big reason also why I don't like um, independent contractors. You know, um, usually what that entails is just writing someone a check at the end of the week out of your business bank account. Um Number number one, like the biggest one really is the fact that like most of these people who you're going to be hiring, they're not really financially savvy. They don't really have, um, you know, a financial acumen. Maybe they do. Most don't. OK. And the reason why I say that is because you do and you should be looking out for them. Ultimately, let's say, for example, you find someone and you have all that insurance and stuff, everything I just mentioned, you have all that. OK. And you decide to actually go into this independent contractor business relationship. Okay. And you write this guy a check every week, a thousand dollars for his work. And let's say he's doing cabinets for you. And every time he finishes a job, he gets a thousand bucks. So you've done 52 jobs. That guy has made $52,000. Okay. Well, what happens at the end of the year when he needs to do his taxes? Okay. If he's not properly classified as a business to operate as, as a business. Okay. And, and yes, I did say that this example would mean that he had all of his documentation. If that's the case, then yes, that 52,000, he can deduct it as you would as a business owner and deduct expenses like gas, materials, all the things that he should be deducting. Okay. And if they don't know this, you should be educating them on this. Next, next example would be somebody that doesn't have all these qualifications. So let's say you're just writing someone a check. They don't have their own insurance. They don't have a workers comp exemption. They're not listed as a business and they don't plan on doing business taxes. They just go to H and R block and plan to do personal taxes like they do every year or maybe every other year. And they show up to H and R block and they say, yeah, I made $52,000 with this company here. And they're going to say, well, why hasn't taxes been taken out of it? And that just opens up a huge can of worms because ultimately, let's just say that they have to pay, I don't know, 10% on that. That's five grand that has to come out of their pocket. And if you're the only person they worked for for 52 weeks, you know, five grand might not be as easy as, as it is for us business owners to just spend on taxes. So it just creates this this uh, snowball effect for them when it comes to their taxes. So again, just kind of reiterating here, you know, we want to make sure that we are in alignment with our end goal. And I think that the best thing you could do is create an employee atmosphere, a team atmosphere. And it might be hard in the beginning. One of my biggest suggestions to anyone who comes from a sales or marketing background and wants to start a business in the trades is that you should be in the field learning how to do the trade. You should be there alongside your team. 
Okay. You can't shy away from this. When someone says, yeah, I just want to sit in the office and, you know, just do sales. I'm like, man, you will not be as successful as you could be because you need to learn the process. You need to understand how things work so you can price jobs accurately. You can get a feel for how your team interacts with customers. You can make better decisions in terms of who you put in charge. Like all of these things, you know, came naturally when I was on the job. I knew what to look for. I knew what, how long jobs were supposed to take. I knew, you know, what, what customers felt when we didn't, you know, even like this, when we, when we started in, you know, the other side of the house, instead of getting their master bedroom done, um, I knew what that felt like for them. They were kind of disappointed because they wanted to get their bedroom back together. You know, so little things like that, you know, you're missing out on because you kind of want to shy away from the production. Don't think that just because you don't know how to do the work, you can't be humble enough to go to somebody who's better than you at the work that you hired to do the work and say, Hey man, you know, teach me how to do this. And that's what I did. You know, I hired people that knew how to paint houses and I asked them to teach me how to do it. And did I care? No, I was their boss. So I wanted to learn and they taught me, you know, and that's the mindset you have to have. Um, so go with the employees. Um, so I'm going to give you some, uh, some employee tips real quick before we close out here, because I think, uh, I think, you know, if you've grasped onto this, if you made it up your mind, you know, I don't want to go to the subcontractor route. I want to do employees. All right, here's what we're going to do. The first thing is you need to use a program called Gusto. Gusto is essentially a payroll service. It's do it yourself. Okay. Um, it's one of those things that, I mean, I'm so glad I found. I love it. I mean, it's awesome. I just go in when I first hire an employee, there's a little onboarding thing. You put in the employee's first name, last name, and email. Then Gusto sends them all the paperwork that they need to fill out. Okay. Once they do that, it comes back to you. You approve it just like that. Now, when the payroll cycle comes, you just put in how many hours they're getting paid and how much they're getting paid. And just like that, it takes the money out of your bank account and drops it in theirs. Obviously, in between that time, paying the taxes where they need to go. There's literally nothing better. Um, and it's super cheap. I think you can get it for $36 a month and then it's $6 per employee, I think. So, I mean, if you're small, it's like 50 bucks a month, but you're legitimate right there. Here's the best part, okay? Best part is, is that workers' comp is facilitated through it. That means that essentially what happens is, is, you know, in your state, you have a percentage of workers' comp that every state has. Some states are higher than others. Mine's fluctuated. Thankfully, mine's dropped in a couple of years, which I'm surprised. Normally, things like that don't happen, but it was, it's been cool. So, anyway... That percentage has to come out of every dollar that you pay. So essentially, if I pay someone $1,000 and my workers' comp is 10%, that means that for this payroll cycle, I'm going to have to pay hundred or $1,100 um, for that employee. Okay, And that's essentially saying that $100 goes to workers' comp. So essentially, what Gusto does is it takes the taxes and pays the taxes on your behalf, and then it pulls out the workers' comp and pays the workers' comp. So everything's done for you. I don't have to do anything. Payroll is literally one of the easiest things I do every week. Um, and just like that, my company's legitimate. That's on your side. Guess what? On the employee side, watch this. They get a back end that essentially tells them, you know, what their payroll was. They get to see all their pay stubs. They get all that stuff and they get direct deposit, um, which just levels up your company. So I use this as a sales pitch when I'm trying to get somebody that I want to join my team. I say, listen, you know, we do everything by the book. You're going to get direct deposit. You're going to get paid every week. All the taxes are going to be taken out, which allows you to hopefully, you know, elevate wherever, whatever you want to do. If you want to get a new house or a new car, you know, you're going to be able to prove your income. I mean, when you say that to somebody in this industry, that's, that's a pretty good thing, you know, and I'm using that to my advantage because I, I believe I deserve the ability to do so. Um, so 
you know, that's what I got for you today. I really want you to, uh, to, to go the employee route. You know, there's so much more to this, but I hope this helped clear, clear, uh, I don't know, maybe clear some things for you, um, in your business. Now I know there's some guys <clears throat> that listen to this that are way ahead of the game and they do have a network of subcontractors and, you know, they don't operate with employees and, and that's great. You know, that, like I said, this is for startup. This is just getting out of the gate. You may get employees for a little bit and ultimately branch out and have two employees doing work for you every day. And then you might have a, a network of subcontractors as long as you do it the right way. That's, that's all that matters. So, um, all right, well, I hope you guys got something out of this. This is the startup series where I just talk about things for uh, those of you starting out and, uh, we will catch you on the next episode. I appreciate you listening. Drip Jobs CRM is finally here. That's right. So Drip Jobs is an automation platform for contractors, home service professionals that's going to automatically follow up with your customers. It's going to allow you to send invoices, estimates. It's going to allow you to send out blast marketing emails to individuals based on where they are in the buying process. This software is next level. And I'm reaching out to you. You're a listener of this podcast, and I want you to be one of the first ones to give it a shot. So if you want to see what Drip Jobs can do for your business, I'd love for you to head over to dripjobs.com, sign up for a free demo, and get your team involved, and let us sit with you and show you how powerful this software is. It's going to save you time, it's going to make you money, and you're going to love the features that are built into Drip Jobs. So if you want to check it out, head over to dripjobs.com. And we will give you first priority being a podcast listener uh, to be one of the very first to try out Drip Jobs in your home service business. I'm super excited to share that with you, and I'll catch you on the next episode.